Young Turks, remember we have a whole other hour for you guys now. We'll go three hours. So uh, in the next segment, I've got another great guest for you guys. He's a Muslim American that has been helping uh, other uh, religions in the country. Uh, so for example, after the synagogue was attacked in Pittsburgh, he raised a lot of money for them. And he's done that over and over again. It's an amazing story, so don't miss that. Last half hour is just for members, and Nomi Prince is gonna come back. I wanna do two things there. One is somebody punked uh, the lieutenant governor of Texas and made him hold a abolish ICE sign, and he didn't realize it. It's a fun story. Uh, they actually gave us an exclusive on it, and I wanna share it with the members here because I think you guys will really enjoy it. And then, you know, in the post games, we do a little bit more about our personal lives. And we never got to find out where Nomi grew up, et cetera. So I want to go and, and do that a little bit, find out more about how she got to be a Goldman Sachs banker, a very successful one, and then obviously became uh, was a progressive that uh, turned on Goldman Sachs. So it's a really great story. Don't miss that. The members get the last half hour. tyt.com slash join to become a member. Or if you want to get a free trial for a week, tyt.com slash trial. All right, now let me go to my next guest. Joining me now is Mike Siegel. Uh, he had uh, what I would characterize as a very successful run uh, for Congress in 2018, and he's going to do it again in 2020. He was in uh, Texas' 10th district, and I'll tell you why I think it was successful in a second. Uh, Mike, uh, welcome to the Young Turks. Hi, Jake. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. So, Mike, uh, you ran, ran against a seven term uh, incumbent, Michael McCall, a uh, Republican there. Uh, he had won by, I think, 19 points uh, before in 2016. Uh, what was the result of your race? We were able to narrow the margin to four points uh, with very little support from the National Party or, or major funders. Uh, we ran a purely grassroots campaign, hit thousands upon thousands of doors, and yeah, narrowed the gap to four points. And now what was used to be thought of as a deep Republican district for 2020 as a national battleground. So Mike, I'm a little worried about you and I'll tell you why. It might be a funny thing to say um, after the good news you just gave. You closed a 15 point lead and you turned a non-competitive district into a competitive one. But you are a progressive and so a lot of times what happens is the establishment sees that a progressive did really well and goes, "Oh, we got a great idea, let's now replace him with a banker. Uh, and." And if he was a veteran of some sort and is very pro-Republican party, then we might have a shot at that race. So I don't know if you've seen any rumblings yet of that, but are you bracing for impact? Or do you think the Democratic Party is gonna say, hey, look, this guy did great, let's run him again? Well, I wanna give them every chance to do the right thing and support the person that made this a winnable seat. Uh, at the same time, I am aware that there might be a challenger kind of from the right wing of the party uh, in, in the mode you talked about. At the same time, we ran such a strong grassroots campaign. You know, last year we recruited 1,000 volunteers to this effort. We contacted voters 300,000 times. Uh, we made alliances, you know, across these nine counties. This 10th district goes from basically Austin to the Houston suburbs and includes seven rural counties in between. So the, the rank and file activists of the Democratic Party in Texas, they love me because we did that detailed work. We fought on issues that matter for folks like voting rights at Prairie View A&M or resisting the family separation policy that Michael McCall supported. So I think we've uh, developed a, a nice firewall to prevent that kind of right-wing, well-funded air attack. But at the same time, we have our work cut out for us. Yeah, and I say that um, 
based on evidence. Uh, for, I remember this happened a number of times. The one that I remember most is Colonel Applegate uh, almost defeated Daryl Issa. It was the closest election in 2016. And then the Democratic Party came in and said, "Oh, you almost won. Step aside." And they brought in a bunch of other candidates, and then gave them a ton of money that they wasted in the primaries. Anyway, but Mike, tell and and the reason I'm concerned about it in your case is because of how you ran. You ran as a progressive, and and God forbid you should prove that running as a progressive is actually more likely to lead to a victory in purple or red districts. That's right. You know, I, I believe in providing a, a clear contrast with the Republican in there. And so I'm not running on a access to health care policy platform. I'm running on Medicare for all. You know, I just I don't believe in just doing some criminal justice reform. I want to end the war on drugs. Uh, even though this district includes parts of the Houston area oil patch, I'm running on the Green New Deal. And I think it's those strong stances that get Democrats fired up and willing to do the work of knocking on doors, you know, putting in those dozens and dozens of hours. And that's what it takes to flip a district like this. Um, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that Beto beat Ted Cruz in the Texas 10th by a fraction of a percentage point, which shows that the base is there. We don't need to flip, you know, middle of the road uh, Republican light voters. We just need to let the Democrats know in every community, African-American, Hispanic, Asian communities, working class communities, that we're going to fight for them. We're going to be useful. We're going to make their lives better. And to me, that's how we win, not you know running to the center. Well, number one, I love that kind of strength. And number two, you already proved it. I mean, closing 15 points is no joke going from 19-4. McCall had won some of his elections by 32 points. And you got within four when you started with no name recognition. Now you've got a lot of name recognition and it's easier to build on that. So I wanna let everybody know Siegelfortexas.org is a website. And so for these truly progressive candidates, Really important to donate, but also uh, to volunteer. Uh, I mean, you had a crazy number of volunteers. Talk to me about your volunteers from last time around. Well, like you said, I got into it with you know relatively no name, but I knew that out there were the indivisible activists, the labor folks uh, who would be willing to support me. You know, my my background includes being a, a union organizer with the teachers union, a civil rights activist, a plaintiff side. You know, challenging racist law enforcement policies, things of that nature. So even though I was working full time for the first half of the campaign, I had hundreds of people turn out for the primary, knock doors uh, in Austin, in the rural areas, uh, make phone calls, text messages. Um, and people were motivated to fight McCall because he in particular, as chairman of Homeland Security, was acquiescing and really responsible for some of the worst Trump policies. You know, he co-wrote the Muslim ban. He uh, backed up the family separation policy. So it was our strong stance against those terrible policies that inspired people to, to work hard for me. So even though uh, for congressional campaign, I, I raised a little under $500,000, which is considered to be extremely little, uh, we accomplished a lot more than the folks in DC believed was possible because we had the love of the people and we were fighting on things they cared about. So um, t tell me about what happened at Prairie View A&M University. Right on. So uh, included in the Texas 10th is Waller County, uh, which includes Prairie View A&M University, which is an historically black college built on the location of a former slave plantation and a place that when they lowered the voting age from 21 to 18, the students there started voting in mass and they started voting out local elected officials. And those you know, white office holders took offense to that. And they decided that they, you know, this is about 40 some years ago, they decided they weren't gonna let the black kids vote. 
They said, you're not residents of this county. You're not allowed to vote here. And so 40 years ago, these students took a fight all the way up to the United States Supreme Court that resulted in the right being established for every college student in this country that you can vote on campus where you attend school. Now, over the decades, there were other attempts at voter suppression. And in 2018, it was no different. Um, there's this little obscure issue that there's no zip code in the, in the uh, town where the campus is, which means the students can't get on-campus mail delivery, which makes it very hard to register to vote. So the students registered at an address that they were directed to register at by the county. But then on the eve of the voter registration deadline, the county official said, you know what? You're going to have to sign an affidavit before we allow you to vote on election day. And you know any additional impediment you put up to voting uh, means some people are not going to vote. And so I joined together with county officials to, you know, Democrats to oppose this. We, uh, I wrote a strongly worded letter to the county judge and had my regional field director deliver that letter. Now, while he was delivering the letter, he was stopped by the bailiff and he was ultimately arrested. And I was actually on the phone with him because I'm a civil rights lawyer as well as his employer. And I heard the conversation. And they asked him, you know, who do you work for? He says, I work for a congressional candidate. Uh, what is this letter about? Oh, it's about voting rights. Uh, what party does your, your boss, you know, work for? Or what, what party is he running under? And he says, Democrat. And the phone goes dead. And, uh, you know, I learned that he was arrested for some trumped-up offense. Um, but the, 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 the lemonade from the lemons was that even though he had to do about four hours in custody— uh, the next night, I was brought on the Rachel Maddow show to, to discuss the history at Prairie View. And the day after that, um, the Texas Secretary of State called me and then called the elections official and told them to reverse this policy. So we were able to do something useful, um, partially uh, a matter of luck because my, my staffer got arrested. But because of that fight, we've kind of developed a, a strong base of support in this historically black community, which is not only a place of voter suppression, but which is also the county where Sandra Bland was unconstitutionally arrested and where she died in custody. So, um, you know, we got to do some racial justice work as part of the campaign, and that's something that we also want to build on this next cycle. See, Mike, I mean, there's something super interesting going on uh, here, and, and that's why I think your story is really compelling and interesting. So, because here's a district that is, you know, has voted for Republican by 32%. You almost won last time around with very little money, uh, being super progressive on all, not only just the policy positions, but going around and talking about racism in the middle of Texas, okay? <laughs> and so just one last time, what do you think is the key there? Why, why are you doing better than the milk toast that they put out there before? How, why do you have a chance to win that district when they didn't have a chance before? The only way to win these districts is to show up in person. You know, we can't just send mail to these rural towns. We can't just buy some internet ads or TV ads. We have to show up. And I can't show up everywhere, although I knocked on about 5,000 doors myself last cycle and hope to double that this time. But there's nothing more persuasive than someone knocking on your door and in a heartfelt way saying, this is why this candidate will help you. Whether it's we're going to fight to reopen rural hospitals or we're going to fight to get you flood control facilities, whatever the local issue is. Uh, that's more persuasive than any millions of dollars you can spend on consultants and uh, you know the, that kind of tr typical campaign expenditure. But the only way to fire up the volunteers is to really fight to make a difference in the world and in people's lives. And so to me, that's the key. That's the secret sauce. Um, if, if I am challenged from the right wing and someone gets a lot of money from some group like Emily's List, so be it. 
Um, I hope it'll still be a decently, you know, uh, civil campaign, but we're going to do it the grassroots way. And I do intend to raise more money this time and to have a stronger campaign, but we're not going to give up on, on fighting on the issues that make a difference in people's lives. Love it. Siegelfortexas.org. Everybody check it out, find out more. And, uh, and if you can, volunteer, donate, get involved. These links are always down below if you're watching later on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, Mike, thank you so for much for joining us and for running strong. Thank you so much, Shank. Appreciate the opportunity. No problem. All right. Uh, when we come back, uh, uh, guest has just done some terrific work. And he's got a new idea to introduce Muslims to their neighbors in America in the era of Trump. Okay, we'll see how that turns out when we return. Back on the Young Turks. We got a great guest for you guys. He's in the studio. Tarek Al Masidi joins us now. He's done a great number of programs where he brings different religions together and works towards peace and understanding. So, Tarek, thanks so much for joining us. Thank really you. Thanks it. for having me. Okay, so you've done a lot and you've got a new project, but I'm going to jump around a little bit. Yeah, sure. First, after the shootings in Pittsburgh at the synagogue mm-hmm. where 11 people died, mm-hmm. what did you what did you do about that? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I direct a nonprofit called Celebrate Mercy. It's a Muslim-led nonprofit organization. And right after we saw, you know, the news about the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting, we organized, actually co-organized, a crowdfunding campaign asking Muslim Americans to raise funds for the victims and their families. There were 11 people killed, others that were injured. Uh, many people impacted, but I really felt like, I mean, our our organization aims to live the faith that of the the Prophet Muhammad, the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And I felt like, what better way to do that than to love for humanity what you love for yourself? I mean, there's really a key story that inspired it. What, which is, um, there was a story of when. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, stood up when he saw a Jewish funeral procession passing by him. And when he saw that funeral procession, he, he stood up and his disciples around him said, why are you standing? It's not a, it's not a Muslim, so why are you standing up? It's a Jew. Uh, his response was so beautiful, he said, is it not a human soul? So when we saw the cemeteries that were desecrated a couple years ago and also the synagogue shooting, we felt like, is it, you know, are these not human souls? And we're also Abrahamic cousins as well, Jews and Muslims. Um, and we both are kind of, you know, feeling the brunt of hate right now, especially after the, the, the Trump election. So we reached out, we raised over $200,000 uh, for the victims. Yeah, you know, it's uh, warmed my heart uh, to see uh, the different co- uh, races, ethnicities, religions getting together in the mm-hmm. Trump era. And fighting back against the fear, the hatred, et cetera, that are being spread. Anti Defamation League has done a wonderful job of backing Muslim Americans mm-hmm. in their time of need as well, as they're the subject of a lot of propaganda in America and pointing out that, you know, that trouble that's brewing for all of us. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And so, and you know, a lot of people might not know this, and that's why I like the work that your group is doing. Uh, Turks and, and Jews go back a long time. The Ottoman Empire saved right. the Jews from the Spanish Inquisition and sent the entire Ottoman fleet to pick up uh, Jews from Spain and bring them back to the Ottoman Empire. Right. 
And we've yeah, pre, pre-1947, Muslims and Jews actually had a, a much better relationship historically than even Muslims and Christians, like, like you said. And, and one of the cemeteries that we actually uh, repaired um, in Denver, Colorado, a Jewish cemetery, actually had many Turkish Jews buried in it from the early 1900s. Yeah, so that's great. And so you guys, you guys raised over 200 for the synagogue, 200,000 for the synagogue? Over two, well, the goal was actually started off as 25,000. So we almost reached 10 times the goal. And we stopped raising the goal at about 150. So we said beyond 150,000, we're going to use the remainder towards projects that foster more interfaith dialogue and collaboration between Jews and Muslims. So about 80,000 is gonna to go towards those kind of projects and 150,000 has already gone to the victims' families. No, that's wonderful. And how about the cemetery? How much money did you guys raise? We raised there? over 160,000. The initial goal was 20,000. We hit that in three hours and it just went viral very quickly. J.K. Rowling tweeted it on, on day two. She actually crashed the crowdfunding page for three hours. Um, Ellen DeGeneres, it just went, it went nuts. Um, but it just showed, actually it began with mostly Muslim donors, but as it progressed, I could notice from the names that at least half of the donors were actually Jewish. So it became, even though it was like a Muslim led campaign, it was like a very, the people that were giving were very uh, diverse. Yeah, well that's the best of America, that's yeah, what I love. that is the best of America. Right. So uh, now you've done a, a number of these, so I'm gonna go all the way back to okay. Fastathon. What was Fastathon? Okay. I was an un, uh, undergraduate student at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. In Ramadan, we asked non-Muslim college students to try uh, fasting for a day in Ramadan. Um, and for every person that pledged to fast, local businesses would donate like $2 towards a local food pantry. So the, the slogan was go hungry for a day so someone else won't have to. We started it, we had like 100 people that fasted. This was two months after 9-11, November 2001. It, within five years, the fastathon had spread to 300 college campuses, some of them getting like 2,000 fasters on the same day. And they all break fast together, interfaith uh, gathering at sunset when Muslims generally break their fast. They're fasting in Ramadan. So um, it's now even gone to Google. There are 14 Google headquarters around the world that host an annual fastathon. So we've estimate we estimate that it's raised about two million dollars to feed hungry people around the world. No, oh, that's amazing. That's a lot <laughs> of money raised for good stuff. Uh, now uh, I don't know if I can do it again. So I'm agnostic now, but I, you know, I grew up Muslim, so I used to fast. Okay. But I'm Turkish, so you're welcome back anytime. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> that was unlikely, but I hear you. Okay. I hear you. Uh, I was Turkish, so I only did it when I felt like it. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So in the Muslim world, you know, Turks are kind of Muslim. Um, so it's very diverse. Yeah, the, the religiosity is very diverse in yeah. Turkey. Yes. And uh, but I remember it was hard, man. Uh, but my favorite part was breaking the fast. Um. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you count down the minutes. They say that the the time that Muslims remember the time to pray the most is in Ramadan when it's sunset prayer. You know. Yeah. And if you guys don't know, and of course a lot of people don't, because uh, which is going to go into our next part of the story, is that uh, Muslims have to fast for a month. And you can eat when the sun sets. But especially when I was young, it was summertime. So sometimes the sun yeah. wouldn't set to like 845. You're like, oh my God, I'm <laughs> And Ramadan dying. these days is in the summer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, Allah, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
so when you broke the fast and the sun set, everyone's like, give me the moon. <laughs> okay, so now you're doing a program called Love Thy Muslim Neighbor. Yes. Okay, what is that? So most of the campaigns that we've done at Celebrate Mercy have been in response to a crisis, you know, trying to like respond to evil with good. This is actually a five year campaign. So recent studies have shown that about half of Americans do not know a Muslim personally. Those who know Muslims personally are like about half as likely to have anti-Muslim views. So if you know a Muslim, you're twice as likely to have more favorable views towards Islam and Muslims. The idea behind this campaign was inspired by a campaign in Norway, which by the anti-racism center, it's kind of the equivalent of their ACLU. They did a two year campaign asking non-Muslim Norwegians to visit a Muslim home and just have a cup of tea. And after two years, polls showed that Islamophobic sentiments before and after this campaign had dropped by 40% across Norway. So we were really inspired by that tea time campaign in Norway. And we wanna take one pilot zip code in America, which heavily voted for Donald Trump, like a heavily, which very likely has anti-Muslim views, and engage about 50 to 100 Muslim families to engage in like random acts of kindness with their neighbors, hosting block parties or snuggling their, their driveway from snow randomly, and then polling before and after, do views towards Muslims shift after 18 months in that one zip code? So Tarek keeps flipping things on its head, right? <laughs> so I'm a Muslim who's gonna go help other religions and raise money for them, etc. And now uh, you've even flipped the idea of a tea party on its head. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That it's a chai party. We've, we've turned it into a chai party. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so, but that the experience in Norway um, is amazing. That it reduced it by forty percent. That's a stunning number. Yeah. And it's yeah. true. Like so, some sometimes the right wing will get mad at me. They're like, "No, you don't understand. Muslims are uniquely dangerous, and you're trying to cover right. for them. And why won't you hate them like we do? Right. And now you're an atheist, and that's why you should know most of all. Blah, blah, blah. Because I know a Muslim, like my mom. <laughs> right. Right? Uh, they're real people, of course. <laughs> they're people like anybody else. They're a fifth of humanity. <laughs> right. Fifth of humanity, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, are you a little worried, though, that if you go to shovel someone's snow and you didn't tell them and they see a Muslim guy in the middle of, well, I was going to say Alabama, but that's not likely to be a snowstorm there. But um, <laughs> so, are you, are you concerned about that at all? Yeah. I mean, there, we're, we're factoring in things like security. You know, we may have like security close by just in case something escalates. Um, we also may partner people up when they, you know, randomly knock on a neighbor's door, maybe not to send someone alone. Um, so we're factoring all those things in and we wanna be as safe as possible. But the key thing that we're also doing is a film about this. So we wanna actually film kind of like a reality TV slash like Michael Moore style film of what happens in those in that zip code. And then if it's successful there, we wanna scale it to three places, 10 places, and then make it a nationwide Campaign and all of it, we're going to focus on inspiring Muslims to do this as part of what their faith teaches in the very beginning. Yeah, so let's talk about the fundraising because you need a million bucks, right? Right. right. So that seems like a hard goal, except you're pretty good at raising money. <laughs> and for a lot of good, we're good at raising money, except for our own selves. You know. <laughs> oh well, that's true because the other money went to people who need it, right, et cetera. Right. Right. And right. This is a, and this is also really important because it's a project you're doing to. To spread understanding, right? Right. right. So, but you've already raised four hundred thousand. Yeah. How'd you do that? 
Well, it all started, you know, luckily I was able to get a 30 minute meeting with the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey. I had 30 minutes with him, I made a pitch, gave a presentation. He said he was so inspired by a work that he wanted to personally donate. So every day I'm checking the mailbox, I thought, you know, what, what is Jack Dorsey gonna give us? But he ended up donating the first $100,000. Damn. Like, we had never gotten that. like a six digit donation to <laughs> us before for our work, you know yeah. what I mean? So once he did that, um, uh, we, we really upped the game. We tried to get more underwriters, associate producers. We've raised now within a year about $400,000. Um, we, need, we need at least half of our goal to start filming and to launch the campaign. So if we can just get to 500 by this Ramadan in May, um, then we can start the campaign in the fall. And it would actually launch with a meeting with Jack Dorsey where all the major funders will meet him and will actually launch the campaign. So when we do Dres, we usually get it 10 bucks at a time. <laughs> um, so like when somebody says, oh, I'm gonna give money, I think like, okay, like if it's like a wealthy person, okay, I'll believe it when I see it, right? <laughs> right. Well, you walked away, see, he's got faith. Right, <laughs> right, right. There was a lot of prayer. There was a lot of prayer for Jack Dorsey's check to be a big check. And so when 100,000 came in, were you like, Oh my God, God is real. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are very grateful. Our whole team like stopped. We prayed. You know, I, I sent him some homemade baklava. You know, as a gift. Um, he was very generous, and um, we were, yeah, we were, we were shocked. But you know, actually, what's amazing is that the two largest donors to our organization so far are actually Jack Dorsey, who comes from you know a Catholic upbringing, and a Jewish man um, who has also donated like. A, a large amount of money to us as well. So the largest two donors that we have are actually a Catholic and a Jew. That's called America, baby. <laughs> I is. love that. It is. All right, let's well, let's do some ten bucks at a time too. Where, where can people go uh, yeah. to give money? So they can go to our website, celebratemercy.com. They can click on the the link that says campaigns and learn all about the Love Thy Muslim Neighbor campaign. That's what we're calling it, Love Thy Muslim Neighbor. They can even request to see a private like trailer video, um, host a fundraiser. So celebratemercy.com. Yeah, and uh, last thing, by the way, you'll have the link down below if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook. And um, and so just click on it, really easy. Check it out, see it for yourself. Last thing is, look, this worked in other communities for uh, gay Americans as well, and that's why coming out was so important because mm -hmm. people, if you don't know people in that community, it's easier to demonize them or have the wrong impressions or have other people demonize them, right? Absolutely. But once you get to know them, it almost always the same thing happens. Oh, they're just like me, right? right. And so it, it is stunning that six out of 10 Americans don't know any Muslims, have not met any Muslims, don't know them. So if they do get to know them, they'll probably have conversations like this and yeah. walk away. And, and our hope is like through the campaign, through the film, that that number six in five years can, can go down to five and a half. Um, and we're really good at scaling campaigns across Muslim communities. That is our goal for that number six people, six out of 10 who don't know Muslim personally, to go down to five and a half. Yeah. So uh, celebratemercy.com. Tarek, thank you so much for coming. Thanks really for having me. I really, yeah. I'm really honored to be here. Thank oh, you. Thank you. All right, guys, we still have another half hour for you guys. Nomi Prince is gonna come back. This is for the members. Uh, we'll do some fun uh, things, including one of, uh, somebody reached out to us and told us how they got a very Republican lieutenant governor to hold an abolish ice sign. So that's fun, tyt.com slash join to become a member and get that last half hour. We'll be back.